Hi everyone, thank you for letting me into your home or wherever you're watching from. I hope that you're well, but even if you're struggling, I hope that you'll find encouragement here today. Now, this week is the penultimate of our fuel series. We're in chapters 19 and 20 of Acts this week, and it's an action-packed series of events, all about the birth of the church in Ephesus in the west of Turkey. It spans two to three years of ministry there and in the surrounding region and is the last instalment of Paul's pioneering journey before he sets his eyes on going back to Jerusalem and then on to Rome and after that to Spain, although he never gets to Spain. So Paul has just come from uh, like to Ephesus from Corinth in Greece and Athens just before where last week Philippa gave us an amazing insight into his encounter in the Areopagus, uh, which could be compared to today's media. Paul gets a mixed reception, but he perseveres, fueled by the Holy Spirit, and he shows us that we too are called to be those who get involved in culture and point to the God who has a name. So I'm going to summarise what happens in Acts in these two chapters, but let's just pause and pray uh, now together. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the gift of your word. And as we delve into it now, would you encourage us? Yeah, Lord Jesus, I, I welcome you here now. Come and be with us, I ask. Amen. So, Paul arrives in Ephesus and he hears about some disciples there. Yeah, Paul is always doing two things in a new place. First, he's working out where uh, God is calling him to engage with a place and then how to, and how to speak the good news of Jesus. But he's also always looking, secondly, for people of peace who may already have heard about Jesus or be ready to uh, get baptised. He finds this group of disciples and he discovers that they're disciples of John the Baptist. He lets them know that John himself pointed to Jesus and that Jesus is the full version of what they've been waiting for this whole time. And they believe this and they are baptised in the name of the Lord Jesus. So then they have Paul pray for them and they experience the Holy Spirit, the fuel of Jesus. And Paul then goes with them uh, to their synagogue and, and they stay there for three months, teaching and preaching, uh, but with a mixed response. And actually things go uh, like a bit kind of haywire at the synagogue and they have to move uh, to a little local hall probably just down the road, that was owned by a local philosophy teacher. They seemed to have done a deal which meant they could use the hall outside of the hours it was normally used for teaching. And they carried on doing that for two years. And there were many signs of wonders through that time. The Holy Spirit was having fun and it was being noticed. And in fact, there were some men who made money as exorcists in, in the general sense. And they decided, because they'd heard the name of Jesus, they would try out this God Jesus as a tool for their work. They commanded an evil spirit to come out of a man in the name of Jesus, but there was backlash on them and they got hurt. But out of their mistake, it became known in Ephesus that the spirit of Jesus was more powerful than other spirits. And as people gave their lives to Jesus, they burned other spiritual books uh, and scrolls which they, uh, like, that which they had. And this was no small thing. They were financially, uh, like they were worth a lot of money, these scrolls. And in fact, in verse 17, it goes on to say, the whole city was, was seized with fear and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honour. 
Then at the end of Paul's time in Ephesus, uh, there is a riot which is stirred up by a local tradesman who made their money uh, from crafting little silver shrines of the goddess Artemis, also known as Diana, because she was the goddess uh, in Ephesus, the goddess of fertility, and, and she formed the major religious and economic framework for the whole city. Yeah, the temple of Artemis there in Ephesus was a huge point of tourism for the whole region. The followers uh, and name of Jesus, fueled by the Holy Spirit, were now a threat to all of this. The riot swelled and gained volume and momentum with the crowd shouting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. But Paul was helped to not get lynched by this mob, uh, by some uh, sympathisers to, to the Christian cause and some Christians. And then through chapter 20, we see he escapes and does some visits to other churches in that region that have been planted. And he comes back to say his final farewell to the church in Ephesus. And there's this incredible moment. Paul gives them a final message and then he kneels before them, this church that he has been involved deeply in planting. They kneel with him and they all weep and pray together. Okay, you can take a breath. <laughs> a lot has happened here. You know, I'm so struck by the way the church in Ephesus is planted and grows, but also how when we spend time staring into the gaps and, and glimpses uh, of what is happening through, we, we glimpse what is happening through the region. We can't help but begin to see that this church, which is, is not just one congregation meeting once a week in a rented community centre, it is a network of people who have become the church, who meet in homes, who also meet in the local hall, who live, walk, engage and participate in city life, who go on mission trips throughout that region, plant other churches and are connected together uh, as ecclesia of Jesus. They begin to, to gather there, they are planted in Ephesus. You know, this is less about just one pin in the map and more about highlighting that there is a living system uh, of new life, which is fueled by the Spirit, uh, which has the Spirit pulsing through it and is there now across that whole region. Now, because of that, I wanted to call this talk Fuel for Citywide Transformation. Now, everything is getting transformed as Jesus' name is spoken. And then I, I cut it down to fuel to transform because I thought that would fit here a little bit better. Uh, and it is true that there is miraculous transformation going on across the whole city. And in fact, the whole region, to the extent that Luke, the, the writer of Acts, states in verse 10, all of the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. All of them. But actually, God's fuel for transformation would be better just being called the fuel of Jesus. So let's unpack that a little bit. Now, first of all, in these passages, there is fuel in a name. The disciples of John are baptised in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then we have this incident of the exorcists invoking the name of Jesus and the resulting mini-movement of new believers burning anything that had been used uh, that, that was powerful because of anything other than the name of Jesus. They wanted to get rid of anything that was not in the name of Jesus. And we see the, the rising of an opposition looking to say that the name of Artemis is greater than that of Jesus and a citywide clash fueled by that name. 
the name of Jesus. In fact, Luke emphasises this phrase, the name of Jesus, throughout Acts. Now, they had the Ethiopian eunuch, Paul's conversion, then the Philippi, Philippine um, jailer's household in chapter 16, Crispus and his household in chapter 18. There is power in the name of Jesus. And Paul in Athens declares, there is, no, there is one God above all other names, and his name is Jesus. But this goes even deeper. You know, the fuel in Acts is enabling believers to use the name of Jesus properly in missional transformation, in healing and deliverance. But it's fueling them to be, to be able to name Jesus as Lord. It is fuel to name him Lord. You know, the phrase Jesus is Lord was used throughout the church as it grew and expanded from Jerusalem at Pentecost. You know, this was a highly subversive thing to do because the common phrase throughout the Roman Empire was Caesar is Lord, the Lord of Lords, to a Roman citizen before they encountered followers of the way was about Caesar, not about Jesus. You know, he, Caesar was the ruler of the empire and he was Lord, not, not this builder from Nazareth. But when people had encountered those who were baptised in the name of the Lord Jesus, they witnessed and could believe that only Jesus was the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. You know, the exorcists who tried to use Jesus' name without knowing how to call him Lord of all, they experienced the backlash of spiritual warfare they saw every follower of the way being empowered to engage with. You know, this is the fuel of Jesus. Not just to have heard and understood his name, but to have said yes to getting to know him who is the highest power and the name above all other names and we can know him and the holy trinity who are the one god through him we can do this because he himself has made a way by giving his life as a sacrifice he died so that we might live and might have life to the full you know paul writes in his letter to the ephesians I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in, in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every other name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Now, you might know that Young Life at SPS have been going through the Beatitudes that Jesus taught, we can read in Matthew 5. Yeah, I highly recommend looking into those videos on our YouTube channel, by the way. They are so creative, they are wise, they're funny, like hilarious at points too. It's amazing work, Young Life. And as I read the account of the planting of the church in Ephesus, I realise that many of these unlikely blessed people in the Beatitudes that Jesus is talking about some years before are, are present there. So let's, um, let's read the Beatitudes as we, as we come towards uh, finishing uh, today. So Matthew 5, it says this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. 
Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. You know, like Jesus was always so bold, wasn't he? And he just flips things upside down. All these people who then would have excluded themselves from being able to be in God's presence, he invites in. He says, I'm going to build my kingdom with you. And, he, and, and he's saying the same to us. You know, when Jesus shares these words, you know, he is talking about what will happen. And we see it in Ephesus. You know, we, we see those who are poor in spirit, receiving the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. We see a movement uh, who mourn by burning their occult books and scrolls where they had previously put their hope and fear. We see the meek, nameless disciples and converts in Ephesus who stir up a whole city with new hope. We see those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the pure in heart. We see peacemakers who calm a riot. Yet theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Comfort, inheritance, mercy. They got to see God and know him through Jesus. You know, and they get to know that they too were being called children of God. You know, you may feel good today, but if you feel poor in spirit, if you're grieving, meek, if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, hold on. You are the very people Jesus is looking to know and see his kingdom multiply through. You are good news to Jesus because he knows how you feel now is not the end of the story. Now, Jesus is not just a good ethic or a good spiritual tool. His claim is not just on a few people who could be persuaded. He is the son of God and his claim is on the whole of creation. The church can be part of transforming a whole city, but only because he, Jesus, can transform a whole city. He can transform a nation. He can renew all things and he's doing that right now. So before we finish today, let's let ourselves uh, just take a, take a moment. We're going to be led by John and Annie in a song. And I want us to allow ourselves to be brought back into the intimacy of our relationship with Jesus. Jesus is Lord. You know, let his light fall upon you. You know, just after the Beatitudes, uh, it's the passage on salt and light. And he says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put a bowl, put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You know, we get to be light of the world because Jesus is the light of the world. So let the Spirit minister to you now as we listen and as we worship with John and Annie. And then we'll come back together and we can pray and finish today. Come, Lord Jesus, we ask.